All right, 2 Corinthians, we are teaching through verse by verse through the book of 2 Corinthians. We're in cha start chapter 9. We will get through verse 7 by grace and faith. 2 Corinthians 9 1 says, Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you, for I know your willingness, about which I boast of you to the Macedonians that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain, in this respect that, as I said, you may be ready. Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as grudging obligation. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He that sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Let's pray for our spiritual meal. Father, we thank you for the word of God that's blessed. We're going to open our heart and be nourished by it. We receive it by faith. Holy Spirit, we call upon you as the divine teacher to anoint the eyes, ears, and heart of each person that's listening. Open them by the gift of your grace. Cause them to see, hear, and understand what's being said. That they walk away exactly with what they need hearing from you. Only you can do this miracle. I believe it's happening right now in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right, let's go up to verse 1 start unpacking this. It says, now concerning the ministering to the saints, it's superfluous, and I guess that's how you say that. Uh, you might, I'm from Oklahoma, so excuse me if that's not the right way to say that. But that's how I'm going to say it. Superfluous. Superfluous. She just showed me how to say that. Sorry. Superf, Whatever. <laughs> I'll go into the Greek, we'll fix it <laughs> for me to write to you. He says, ministering to the saints, and this brings out the fact that we have a call not only to minister to the world, but to minister to the saints. And so, we're the, raise your hand if you're the saints. Well, you can raise your hand because in the New Testament, every believer is called a saint. A saint is one that's separated unto God, belongs to God. And the word holy and saint is the same Greek word hagios. And so uh, once you're born again, you are holy. That means set apart. You're a saint. In some traditions of Christianity, you have to die in order to be a saint. Once you die and you get voted on, if you've done some religious rich deeds and have performed at least two miracles, you could be considered to be a saint. But actually, religion gets it backwards. When you get saved, you became a saint by grace. And you became a saint to live a holy life and to perform miracles. And so again, you're a saint, you're a holy one. And it says, ministering to the saints, this brings out that sometimes even though you're a saint, there's times you have needs in your life. There's lack in your life. And so you think, you know, if I'm saved, then why am I facing this lack? Why am I facing this trial? And so, well, welcome to this life because it's called persecution. And so there's things in this life that's not perfect. God's perfect, 
And he wants to straighten out and he wants to supply for you. He wants to bring you through your trial. But raise your hand if you've ever experienced lack in your life. And especially so when you're just starting out in the Christian walk. That's when, you know, you don't have two dimes to run together. Or you're looking for coupons in the, in the box just to make it for a Happy Meal or something just to make it by. And so you're just starting out in the things of life and, God, and you're living by miracles. You're living by the, because God just provides supernaturally. If God didn't come through, you would be out on the street. You would just, you would die right there. But God supplied you over and over. Look back in the time when you first started out, how God supplied every single time. And it was by a miracle. You live by miracle to miracle to miracle. But that's not God's best. God's best is that you move into a, le, uh, uh, to a lifestyle of blessing. And to where you live in abundance. A lot of Christians are living by miracles by their driving. They're believing, they're driving on E, believing how long can this car go on E. I got a week on E. Hallelujah. A miracle has taken place. But you know what? The true, the true uh, place that God wants you is to live on full. That your gas can stay on full because you're living in the blessing, not just by miracles. But I think sometimes when we're first starting, God wants us to, to have those times where he's the only way. Because you don't know he's your source until he's all you have. And there's times where you prove to you over and over he's your source. And that's when you've proven that and you have that character built so when you can, when the prosperity comes, you're not going to waste it. And you can trust him. And he can trust you with those blessings. But there's times as a saint, there's needs that you have in life and we're to minister to one another's needs. And so there is some times that God will want to supply through other people. Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply some of your needs, all your needs, according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I did a deep Greek study on the word all, and it means all. God wants to meet all your needs. He will supply it by his grace. Now, he often likes to use people. God wants to use you to bless somebody. And so you know what church is? Church is not just receiving. So many people are at home just watching online or they go from church to church to church because there's a consumer mindset in the body of Christ it's what can I get out of church but church is about discipleship and being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ is not about what you get it's about what you give it's about serving one another and that's why church is not just about getting but it's serving one another blessing one another praying for one another and yes financially blessing others when they have need and so hey, get your antenna up when you come to church. Is there somebody here that I can bless, not just with a word, not just with prayer, but can I bless them with a charismatic handshake? <laughs> Have you ever had a charismatic handshake? Yes. And you take your hand away and there's some money left in the hand. Yes. Hallelujah! <laughs> so be sensitive in that. And so uh, I've had that. And, and raise your hand if you've had a charismatic handshake given to you. Hallelujah. Did that bless you? You know what? Actually, ministering this way can get addicting. And God will support your addiction. Giving and ministering to one another can become addicting. I actually want you to see, uh, actually look in the King James on this. 1 Corinthians 16, 15 in the King James. 1 Corinthians 16, 15 says, I beseech you, brethren. We're still on Philippians 4, 19 up there. I'll wait for you to pop up. So King James, 1 Corinthians 16, 15. There we go. 
It says, I beseech you, brethren, you know that the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. They addicted themselves to the, you know, you can addict yourself. And so raise your hand if there's any addicts out here on, on when you, uh, so. well, we can go from being addicted to some substance or whatever to actually be addicted to the things of God, right. be addicted to the presence of God, be addicted to the anointing of God, be addicted to, the, 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 to giving and ministering to one another. Hallelujah. Praise God. You don't have the, you haven't had a, a high until you've had the most high. Hallelujah. And it is that word for me to write to you. What is it, Joanne? Super what? Superfluous. Superfluous. It's that word for me to write to you. That word in the Greek means a going beyond. It's a going beyond for me to write to you. So it was superfluous, but it was needed. It was needed. What does that mean it was needed? To repeat the same thing over and over again. You know, raise your hand if you have kids. Do you find it necessary to repeat the same things over and over again? They'll say, so you remind them, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then they go and do the very thing you tell them not to do. And so, again, we need to have that. And so we learn by repetition. Uh, that's how we learned our, our multiplication tables, by rep- repetition, over and over and over. So that's when I learned 6 times 7 is 52. I'll never forget it, just repeat it over and over again. Second Peter 1.12. It's needful to hear the same thing over and over again. Pastor will teach you, I will teach you things, and you're like, I've heard that. But do you really have it yet? Is it bearing fruit in your life? If you actually have a preacher get up and tell something and you have this attitude, oh, I've heard that. That's not working in your life. You have the, you, it's in your memory banks because if it's actually bearing fruit in your life, you're like, oh, he's on it. Oh, oh, I'm going to listen. I'm excited because I, maybe I can get something new on this because this is working in my life. You get excited about it, not I bought the T-shirt. And so be careful when you hear something. You may not have it like you think you have it. And so 2 Peter 1.12 says, Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, that's the word of God, though you know them, and be established, and this is the King James, and be established in the present truth. And so again, you, can, you need to be established in the truth that you know. And so the more you hear the truth, the more you become established, become rooted in it more and more and more and more. Like the grace of God, it's like an onion. It has different layers to it. And the first time you hear grace, it's like, I've been in the rain. This is amazing. And then a month later, you hear grace again, and it's like all new to you. It's a whole new, deeper revelation. You're like, I was out in the rain about grace. And so grace is like an onion. Every time a layer gets exposed, it brings tears to your eyes. <laughs> Philippians chapter 3, look at verse 1. It says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious. It may be a for you, but it wasn't for Paul. Why? Because he says for you it's safe. It's safe. 
that you're hearing the same thing over and over again. As a minister, you need to be careful because you'll think, you know what, I need some, to come up with something new every single time I get up and teach. And so after a while, you'll run out of the doctrines of the Word of God and be tempted to come up with your own. And Satan will oblige you, and you start teaching some weird stuff, stuff that you start stretching Scripture to try to twist it, and you find different Bible. That's when you're trying to find different Bible versions to fit your doctrine. This one over here says it exactly the way I said it, but it's not in context. It's twisted out of context. And so, again, you make one big doctrine on one verse. And you make a big, a big doctrine on it, but you can only find that verse to back it up. The, more, the bigger your revelation that you have, the more scriptures ought to be to back it up. Yes, Most important the doctrine is, the more verses you have to back it up. Don't hang a theological elephant on a thread. And so, again, Philippians 3.1 says, it's safe to, for me to write the same things to you. He said, there's no need to, he says, there's no need for me to write, but he does anyway. He does anyway. It's like when you say, I'm sure I really don't need to remind you, but you do. Look at verse 2. For I know your willingness, about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. He says, first of all, I know your willingness. Paul uses the word willing three times in the last chapter chapter 8, he uses the word willing, 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 and he uses it here again in this chapter, willing. That's really the basing of really what giving of grace is and your finances. When you give a new, new covenant giving is, a, is grace giving, and it's rooted in willingness. You're willing to do it. If it's taken from you, then that's not done of grace, it's of obligation. And so God never wants you to give out of obligation. He never gets, wants you to be forced to give, but willing to give. That's where God wants you to give. And so the old covenant dealt with your actions, but the new covenant deals with your heart and its motives. It's very important. And what's your motive in giving? You know, we can see what you write on your offering envelope, but only God sees the motive that you gave it in, the willingness that you gave it in, and so why you gave it. Some people give for the wrong reasons. They either give out of guilt or they just give out of du rote duty. This is just something that I do. It's just something that's not really um, anything meaningful in their life. It's just something they do. They put it in there. Some people give because they're begged. Some people because they're forced, and sometimes their, their guilt will do that. But we want to willingly give in the New Testament. God looks at your heart. He says, about which I boast of you to the Macedonians. And so he brings out Achaia and brings out Macedonia. These are rival regions, and so Achaia is in the south. It's the raise your hand if you're raised in the south. Okay, then you're Achaeans. And who was raised in the north? You're Macedonians. So Macedonia was in the north, and Achaia was right there. They were they were, they were sister states, kind of like uh, Oklahoma, Texas. And so he brings us out, and there's kind of a, a gentle rivalry in this in this regions. And he brings out the two and compares them and, and stirs them up by bringing out and just bringing out the pride of the location. It's just like, you know what? I knew Colorado would stand up and deliver when it was called. You're like, yeah, I'm Colorado. I, you know? And so Paul brings out these regions. And so they're just like Oklahoma is in the north and then Texas south. And so there was a rivalry in Texas and Oklahoma when I was there. And so OU would come and play Texas and so they would go down and they would, they would uh, the fans would meet at the Red River. 
And that's where that divides Oklahoma from Texas. And so they would meet on either side of the bank and they would just start talking trash and start, you know, we're going to beat you, no, we're going to beat you. And then, then all, it got really serious when the Texans threw dynamite over <laughs> on the side of the Oklahomans. And so what we did on the Oklahoma side, we actually lit them and threw them back. says Achaia was ready a year ago. So Corinth was the capital of Achaia. And then Macedonia, that's the Philippian church, the Thessalonica church was there. And so those were the regions. And he says, your zeal has stirred up the majority. In the last chapter, he says, you know what? Those Macedonians, they got their offering already together and stirred up the Corinthians to do the same. But in this chapter, he says, you know what? I actually told the Macedonians, that you were ready and talked about how willing you were to do this offering, and that's what stirred them up to want to give their offering. So he's basically bringing both sides, saying, you know what, this side over here is doing pretty good. And I boasted about this other side for you guys, and so, so he's bringing this out. And so he's bringing this out. Now, I don't think he's really encouraging competition here, but he's wanting to, to stir up by example. You know, you can, be, you can stir someone up by your example. And so they just gave an example to stir them up. And so sometimes we just need to be stirred up. Tell someone you may need to be stirred up. Look at Hebrews 10, look at verse 24. Hebrews 10, 24 says, that Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And how do you do that? By your example. By your example. And so the greatest way you can stir up other people is by your example, not by preaching at them, not by teaching at them, but living it as a huge example for them. And it says that your zeal has, the, the, the Corinthians, your zeal stirred up the majority of the Macedonians. Look at the majority. The majority were stirred up, but not all. This brings out that no matter what you do or say, some people are not going to be stirred up. You couldn't stir them up with a KitchenAid blender. <laughs> they are set like concrete. But notice that what stirs up one person may not stir up another person. And so the example of the willingness of the Corinthians led the Macedonians to complete their offering. Now he's using the Macedonians' example to get them to complete theirs in Corinth. Generosity is contagious. Tell someone you may be contagious. <laughs> Tell someone else, I know I am. <laughs> Generosity is contagious. You need to surround yourself with generous people. Are you around friends that always are looking for you to pay the bill when you go to lunch? And I like to hang around those people that you have to outduel them for the bill. You're going to have to come up with new creative ways to get the bill. Now, if you go to lunch with me, I have, I'm a black belt in getting the bill. So don't try. If you stick around stingy people, it will rub off on you. 
Verse 3. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that as I've said, you may be ready. And so Paul sent the brethren. We talked about this last time we talked. He's three that he's going to send Titus. He's going to send another brother that's famous in the gospel. Many believe that's Luke. And then an unnamed third person, and he's going to send them. This is what he's mentioning here. Yet I've sent the brethren, and these brethren are Paul's scouting party to scout out how much they're ready and prepared for this offering. And so he sends this three out, lest our boasting, look at the word boasting. That means to be proud of, to speak over that. I've heard one minister say it's always wrong to say you're proud of somebody because that's pride. Now, if, if you say, I'm proud of this person, and take credit for them and what they've done, then that's a problem. But when you are proud of what God has done in them, proud of what God's made them to be, you should be proud of your children and how, what God's done in their life and who they made, God made them to be. That's good to have godly pride. And so Paul says, I boasted in you. And so he said, you know what, I boasted to the Achaeans about the Macedonians. I boasted to the Macedonians about the Achaeans. This brings out that Paul spoke, spoke well of other Christians and churches behind their back. Paul spoke well of others behind their back. What's gossip? Gossip is, is, uh, is speaking something behind someone's back that you would never say to their face. What's flattery? Flattering is saying something to someone's face you would never say behind their back. So Paul was always positive towards the Corinthians, and he says that you may be ready. Unfortunately, we don't have Corinthians, 3 Corinthians, so we don't know really what happened, how much they gave, and how successful the offering was. We don't have 3 Corinthians. But we do see later that there are some that go with Paul with this offering. Verse 4. Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we not to mention you would be ashamed of this confident boasting. And so, in fact, several Macedonians did come to Corinth with Paul. We see that in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 20, we see that there's three Macedonians named here that joins Paul with this offering. And it's Sopater of Berea, Aristarchus and Segundus of Thessalonica. They're from Macedonia. They come with it. So they did come down south. And so he says that lest some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared. People will end up finding us in the state of how we really are. You can put up airs for a while. You can put up a sham for a little while. But you will be discovered and found out for who you really are over time. That's why, raise your hand if you're single. Okay, look around. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, it's not, that's naughty. I shouldn't do that. Ladies, that's why I encourage you to date someone for an entire year. Because just in a month or two, they can put up airs and you really don't know them. What you really need to find out is who's chained in the basement. Find that person. Who's chained in the basement? And you can't hide for an entire year. You're going to find them. And so especially try to do tasks together or put a puzzle together and see how that works. <laughs> but you find them in, in, in uh, all four seasons of life. That's why I encourage you to do that. 
People will end up finding us in the state of how we really are. Will this cause us to be ashamed or give us peaceful confidence? Because there's nothing to hide. We, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Look at verse 5. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you previously promised, that it might be ready as a matter of generosity and not as grudging obligation. So he sent them beforehand. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 15 he, he, or 16, he told them to be setting aside week by week. And when I come, there's no need for this, but they hadn't done it. So Paul says, now, I mean it. Let's get this done beforehand. So when I get here, it doesn't look like I'm here just to get your money. And so start that offering now. And so he says, and prepare your generous gift. Look at that word generous, gift. It's the Greek word that means blessing. Prepare your blessing beforehand. Do you know you're blessed to be a blessing? Yes. Tell someone you're blessed to be a blessing. You need to realize you're blessed. When you got saved, you're blessed. I'm sorry, you're blessed. You're blessed. Well, I don't see it and I don't feel it. It's because that's not what you believe. It's not what you've been talking. And so you got to believe it before you tap into grace. There's a grace of blessing over you to be a blessing on you. And how do you do that? I'm blessed. I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, and highly flavored. The Greek word is the same word translated as blessing, where we get the word eulogy from, a blessing. And so prepare your blessing beforehand that it might be ready a matter of blessing, generosity, which is the word blessing, and not of grudging obligation. And so Paul in the last letter exhorted the saints to lay aside money each week. They hadn't done it. He says, he says again to do it. That it might be a matter of blessing. God blesses us again to give out blessing to other people. Blessing is not just for you, it's for other people. Grudge, or I mean, not of grudging obligation. That's the Greek word covetousness. And so that's what you give out of grudging, hard-wrung exhortation or out of covetousness. Money given out of manipulation, extortion, or pressure is not a blessing. Let me say that again. Money given out of manipulation extortion or pressure is not a blessing. You know, some churches have triple tithe Sunday. Let's give our first tithe, get our second tithe, and you ring out the third one. We're not going to have triple tithe Sunday here. Praise God. Only one, and if you're willing, give. If you're not, then keep it. Hallelujah. Money's, so again, only when money's given willingly from the heart of grace does an offering become a real blessing. Look at verse 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. He that sows sparingly, say sows. What is that a term? That's an agricultural term. That's sowing seed, throwing seed in the ground, and it multiply. it, it dies, and the, but the, inside, the outside dies, and the inside's released, and it brings out a multiplication process in that in harvest, that you have to actually harvest. And so he brings this out that God, when you, that God has an ability that you takes natural finances you got from your job, 
just the natural finances of the world, the mammon of this world. And so you take natural finances, but when you add faith to it and you give it into the kingdom, God turns it into supernatural seed. It turns into seed that will work a harvest for the, in the area, in the field that you gave it to. You give it to the church. It's going to be a bountiful harvest for the church. Or the ministry, Greg Moore Ministries, or whatever you want to give to, you sow that in faith. And when you put it in faith, and now the love of God in faith, that becomes supernatural seed. But just, just because a Christian gives money doesn't mean your money turns into seed. It's when you add faith to it. So many Christians, they just throw money in the box and don't realize, no, I'm sowing there. I'm sowing by faith. And it's going to come supernatural seed. And so this brings out our finances when they're given the kingdom becomes seed. And it says, those that sow sparingly will reap sparingly. That's easy to understand in the natural. That if a farmer just does half their field with the seed, they're going to get half a harvest than if they seeded the entire field. So it says, he that sows sparingly... If a farmer wants a big harvest, he knows he must plant a lot of seed. This is not hard to understand, but we often tend to shy away in fear from giving large amounts thinking we will be diminished. And the problem is, is we really do not believe that when we put these finances in the ground of the kingdom, that it becomes seed. We're thinking it's money. And if I give a large amount of money, this is something I'm going to be diminished by this. But if you have a true understanding that by faith it becomes seed, it multiplies and it will have a harvest. But it's not just a harvest for the kingdom, but God makes a harvest come back to you. And that's what you heard me say week after week. Good measure. Now you almost go Pentecostal. Good measure. Press down. Shaking together. Run it over. Man, I will give into your bosom. You feel that? You almost felt it. Why don't we do it? Why don't we give more? Because we're not giving in faith, believing that's seed. It's just finances. It says those that sow sparingly, reap sparingly. Many of us have been taught to sow in faith, but not many have been taught to reap in faith. Whatever you do in the kingdom of God, you do it by faith. You're to sow in faith, but you're to reap in faith. What would be good if a farmer sowed a field and the harvest came up and they just said, well, praise God, look at that harvest God gave me, but didn't take the combine and actually reap it. So what's our combine faith? Faith is the combine. So we're to sow it in faith, but we're to reap it by faith. Lord, I thank you by faith. There's a harvest working in the field I'm planting in right now. And by faith, I receive back the harvest, claim the harvest, back by faith and have it. And I thank you in Jesus' name. And I believe there's, there's harvesting angels with sickles in the spirit that will come and bring forth that harvest and it finds its way back to you. I like it this way. What, what about the next time we do an offering? You say, you know, when I come up here and just, just throw me in here, say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to sow this seed into this ground. And as soon as by faith, you release your faith. Lord, I think I'm sowing this seed into the ground of the kingdom. 
I believe for a pound of a harvest in that field, but I believe and I reap by faith now, I have that harvest come back to me. Hallelujah. Woohoo! <laughs> Look at Philippians 4.15. Philippians 4.15 says, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church, this is talking about the Philippian church of Macedonia, no church shared with me. No, church, no other church they ever found that gave anything to Paul. Not one red denarius, but the Philippian church only. No church shared with me concerning giving, but you only. Is that what it says? Oh, wait a minute. Shared with me concerning giving and receiving. Tell someone, anyone in the line for receiving? No, I'm only a giver. You prideful thing. Why do, why, why do I want to receive back a multiplication so I can give more? Come on. Not going to have thir the third flat screen television so I can give more into the kingdom. If a farmer plants a lot of seed and has a big crop in the field, it doesn't do any good if he doesn't harvest it. So, so it says, he that sows sparingly will reap sparingly. A pastor wanted to see if a farmer in his congregation was willing to support the Lord's work. So one day he challenged him with some direct questions. If you had two farms, he asked, would you be willing to give one to God? Why, certainly, replied the man. I only wish I were in the position to do so. The minister then asked, well, if you had $10,000, would you give 5000 to the Lord? He says, without hesitation, the man responded, how I'd love to have that kind of money. I'd enjoy giving generously like that. Then the preacher said, if you had two pigs, would you give one to the church? The farmer hesitated for a moment, then blurted out, that's not fair. I have two pigs. <laughs> it starts, prosperity starts out with giving what you have. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. I just like that word bountifully. Praise God. Well, he that sows bountifully, that means the finances that I'm sowing, Lord, that, that, that it's, I'm giving to the point to where I feel it. So many people just don't give it till they don't feel any. It's like, well, that's nothing. I can just get it. No, you can feel that. And then when you get used to that, you get a comfort zone with that, then move it up some. And then you feel comfortable there, and then, you become, then, then you're given the big time. And you're like, oh, I'm, I'm comfortable. Oh, I'm. You can always be, tell someone, don't be too comfortable. Some people have given the same amount for decades and have not accounted for inflation. At least give a cost of living increase. <laughs> well, Pastor, you're just talking about money. Well, I'm a verse-by-verse -verse preacher. This is just the verses we happen to be in. So. Who knows what we'll be in next week. Right? And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. This word means, this word bountifully means on top of blessings. It's blessings heaped on blessings. Heaped up blessing. Raise your hand if you're ready for heaped up blessing. This brings out the fact that many blessings God has for us can only be reaped by sowing what he first gave to us by grace. 
He that sows blessing will reap greater blessing. Look at Proverbs 11.24. Proverbs 11.24 says, There is one who scatters, yet increases. Well, how, that doesn't work in the natural. Well, it works in the kingdom. There is one who scatters, yet increases more. A wealthy man was asked, How in the world did you become so rich when you give so much away? He says, well, the Lord shovels it in and I shovel it out. But God has the bigger shovel. Aren't you glad God has the bigger shovel? He will not be out shoveled. We need to keep the bottom of our giving funnel open so that we can receive more at the top. Because he always has a heart to pour. We need to keep the bottom of our giving funnel open. Well, you know, gas prices are pretty high. And stock market's not looking great. So you know what? I'm just going to constrict and give less. That's stupid. Now, it's smart if it's just natural. But when you say, you know what? I'm just going to give less seed. Then you reap less seed. Tell someone, be a smart farmer. You know what I do when things look bad? I up it. Yeah. Woo. Take that, devil. That's right. Come on. <clears throat> George Mueller supported over 2,000 orphans through prayer. Have you heard of George Mueller? He had an orphanage, and he operated totally by faith. He never told anybody what the need was. He just trusted God with it. There's been story after story with George Mueller that they, that they didn't have any money for, or any uh, finances uh, or actually any uh, food for breakfast. And so, but right at breakfast time, they rang the bell, boys, get down, sit on the, get on here on the table. They didn't have any food. And they sit on the table, let's thank Lord for our breakfast. And they would bow their heads, and as they were praying, the wagon wheels, you would hear the wagon wheels out front. And off would come the food provisions, time and time and time again. I want you to know something about George Mueller. But uh, George Mueller supported over 2,000 orphans through prayer without making his needs known. But Mueller did not just ask and receive from God. He also gave generously to the Lord's work. At one point, he fully supported 10 missionaries in China. Over a 54-year period, he gave away 86% of what he received for his personal support. He could have become wealthy and lived in luxury. Instead, he kept the bottom of the funnel open and God kept pouring on the top because he had a bigger shovel. Giving to the Lord is an opportunity of a lifetime. What's that saying? Is that this is the time God's given you to sow into the kingdom because once you pass on, the opportunity to do for the kingdom, what you had here will be over. Giving to the Lord is an opportunity of a lifetime. Because really what that is, it's spreading the gospel and seeing people saved. And if people can get saved, it's going to be in this life. Not the next. This life. As one farmer put it, if you're ever going to be cheap, don't be cheap on your seed. Verse 7. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly, Or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Each one. Tell someone next to you, you're an each one. 
What's this bring out? That, that God's plan is for every believer to be a giver. You know, only the, strati- the statistics teach that only a small portion of Christians even give anything to the kingdom of God. Not this church. Man. I'm just saying over on, in church-wide, universal church. But this verse says, let each one give. Let each one give. As he purposes in his heart. Well, I don't have anything to give. Well, I only got a pen. Well, throw the pen in. But do it in faith. When you read back a lot of pens, because you lose a lot of pens, you know it. You need more pens. When you die, guess what? Before you get to heaven, you'll go to some planet and pick up your lost socks and pens. Rickyology, I just, God has those somewhere. So that each one give as he purposes in his own heart. You know, this brings out the fact that we need to come to church ready to give. Many people give to God as a, uh, as a uh, afterthought. We need to be prepared beforehand with forethought. Look at this word purposes. It means to, uh, to choose in advance. Choose in advance. That means you come to church ready to give. Not, oh, it's offering time. What do I got? No, you prepared it. We should come to church ready to give, not think about as an afterthought or give by religious duty, not grudgingly or a necessity. I love this word grudgingly. It means out of sorrow. Some people, it's a t- offering time is a time of sorrow. <laughs> that money. Out of sorrow or pain, grief, annoyance. Affliction. That's what this Greek word grudgingly means. Out of sorrow, pain, grief, annoyance, or afflictions. And there's many Christians under each category. It pains some people to give money. If it pains you to give in an offering, then keep your money. You'll need it. God wants you to cheerfully give. You have, you've heard it says, give until it hurts. No, for a Christian, you should give until it feels good. Some people are annoyed when the offering is received. We should rejoice that's an opportunity to further God's kingdom and increase at the same time. Giving grudgingly is when you're forced to give. It's when you're, you give because one fears what someone else thinks or gives just to please others or gives to keep others from pestering them or gives out a desire for personal honor or recognition for what they give. That's grudgingly. For God loves a cheerful giver. Ask someone, are you cheerful? Now tell someone, ask someone else, are you a giver? You got to put those two together, a cheerful giver. I'm a cheerful keeper, hallelujah. No, no a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver because guess what? Giving is the language of love. God so loved the world, he gave gave it all on his son. Giving is the language of love. God loves a cheerful, look at this Greek word cheerful, it's hilarious. We get the Greek, we get the English word hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. (laughs) So when you have your deal and say, okay, I'm planting this. 
in the kingdom of God by faith. It's going to, I think, Lord, it's going to work a harvest for the, the place. But now I claim that harvest back in Jesus' name. <laughs> God, why? Because more's coming so I can give more. You get happy when you give? Yes. You know when King David donated his personal collection of gold and silver, God didn't let him build the, build the temple. He said, you've shed a lot of blood. You're, you're a man of war. A man of peace will build the king. Your son will. But David donated all of his wealth and left it for the... For, but, but I want you to see that once, once David donated his personal collection... The Israelite officials followed an example, and afterwards there was great joy from the offering. Look in 1 Chronicles 29. We're almost done. 1 Chronicles 29. Look at verse 1. Furthermore, King David said to all the assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great, because the temple is not for man but for the Lord God. Now for the house of my God I have prepared with all my might... I prepared with all my might for the kingdom of God. Gold for the things to be made of gold, silver for the things of silver, bronze for the things of bronze, iron of the things of iron, wood for the things of wood, onyx stones, stones to be set, glistening stones. Ladies, you like that? Glistening stones. Of various colors. All kinds of precious stones and marble slabs in abundance. Verse 6, then the leaders of the fathers of the houses, leaders of the tribes of Israel, the captain of the thousands and of the hundreds with the officers over the king's work offered willingly. They gave for the work of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold. I don't know what a derrick is, but it sounds a lot. 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasure of the house of the Lord into the hand of uh, that, that guy. <laughs> Verse 9. Then the people rejoiced. Woohoo! For they had offered willingly. Because with a loyal heart they had offered willingly to the Lord. And King David also rejoiced greatly. A giver is not someone who gives. No, a giver is much more than that. A giver is first one in their heart that manifests in giving. 2 Corinthians 9.10 says, and then we're going to get next time we come in, it says, God gives seed to the sower. See, you're a sower before you ever sowed. If you're a heart, if you're a giver and a sower, God will get it to you. He'll give you seed to sow. Bow your heads. Father, I thank you so much for the word of God that's so practical on how you want us blessed and how you want us to give. You want us to give out of a motive of gratitude and faith that, Lord, when we just, the natural finances we work for, that the natural finances we buy natural stuff with, that's only worth the amount of the money that's written on it. But, Lord, when we sow it into the kingdom of God, you turn it into supernatural seed. That multiplies and works in your kingdom, salvation, healing, and deliverance. But you cause it to come back when we, by faith, claim the harvest 
It comes back good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Men give back into our bosom so we can give again in a greater way. Father, I thank you that you allow us to participate in this by faith. The world can't tap into this because they don't do it by faith. They don't do it by revelation. So, Lord, I pray that when from now on that we won't just come up here, throw an envelope in here. No, no, we're planting by faith our seed. Release our faith. We're sowing it, put it in that box that's sown into the ground. And by faith, we're going to think that that harvest is going to be reaped for the church and for the ministries we sow it to. And we claim that harvest back to us in Jesus' name. And then we rejoice. Woohoo! In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, Jeremy. Well, I don't know about you, but it's been a busy week. There's been a lot going on. Yes. <laughs> and during that busy week, sometimes we can get overloaded with various trials that just seem to consume us. And it's easy to just start dwelling on those trials. But where did those trials come from? Did they come from the Lord? No. No, they didn't. In fact, this is what he, Paul, advised us to do. <clears throat> My brethren... Actually, it was James that advised us to do this. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives it all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Don't lose your joy. Count it all joy. None of those trials have ever come from Jesus. And he knows what we need. And he will not let go of us. So just count it all joy and just decide today that I don't care what the enemy tries to put on me. He's just a silly little fool. Right? Amen. Okay. So let's just raise our arms today and just shout for joy for the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. And it'll be a better week this week. Will the, will the trials be any different? I don't know. But we will count it all joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Rick, thank you for awesome teaching and truth that you presented. But I also feel the Holy Spirit is saying to each of you, in your place of need, I challenge you today to step out and respond in the way that he has said. Because God will, according to Malachi, rebuke the devourer on your, on your behalf. He says, test me in these things, and I will pour out a blessing upon you that you cannot even contain. But it is through that sowing, just as Pastor Rick has said today. And so I challenge you today in the offering box to bless, make it uncomfortable, and see what God will do for you and on your behalf. Bless you. I just feel there's some in here that's going through heaviness, 
even depression. And it's not from God. And the Lord wants to see you free. He wants to see the heaviness lifted, the lightness come. Be able to smile and laugh again. To be healed. And if that's you, I want you to come up here and stand across. And, and I'm going to lay hands on you. And, and um, if you don't want hands laid on you, just step back. And I'll know. I can go by. The Lord can still touch you. But uh, I just feel there's some in this room, the, the, the anointing wants to break the yoke. So um, can you play the first song in the set that you played?